Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Research and Pharmacy Practice. This series focuses on discussions for all things related to research, including fundamentals, best practices, practical advice for all of those interested in contributing to the advancement of knowledge. My name is Vicki Vasiliga, and in today's episode, we'll be chatting with Lindsay Emmering, Suzanne Frankert, Ruth Ann Lee, and Kathy Miller, all at UNC Health in the Pharmacy Business Operations Division. They're going to be talking to us about their ASHB Best Practices Award-winning program at UNC Health. For those of you unfamiliar with ASHP Best Practices, this award recognizes outstanding practitioners in pharmacy who have successfully implemented innovative systems that demonstrate best practices in pharmacy. Welcome, and thank you so much for joining us today. So let's start with a brief introduction. Can you guys tell me a little bit about yourself, your team, and your practice location? Well, thanks, Vicki. This is Lindsay Amarine. I'm a System Executive Director for Pharmacy Business Operations at UNC Health uh, and have uh, responsibility for the Pharmacy Revenue Integrity Team, which is what we'll be talking through today. And I've been at UNC for um, over 13 years. Hi, this is Suzanne Frankhart. Um, I am our System Director of Pharmacy within Business Operations, responsible for our managed care and rep cycle teams, and I have been at UNC for 11 years. Hi, my name is Ruth Ann Lee. I've been with UNC Health for 12 years. I am currently the Clinical Manager for the Medication Assistance Program. In this role, I oversee the pre-certification and manufacturer assistance teams for medical benefits. Prior to this role, I was the Clinical Pharmacist on the Pharmacy Revenue Integrity Team. Hi, this is Kathy Miller, and I am the Operational Project Manager on the Pharmacy Revenue Integrity Team. I have been here at UNC for five and a half years now, and I am involved in the oversight of tasks related to charging and reimbursement for hospital-based pharmacy accounts. And I work primarily with one reimbursement analyst on these tasks. Great. So you and your teams were recognized for the work of the Pharmacy Revenue Integrity Team. You started this program in 2017 by looking at pre-certification and denials for medical benefit claims. Why did you start there? Um, and can you tell me how the program has grown since 2017? Thanks, Vicki. Uh, the, the reason we started there in 2017 was really starting to look at our denials management process. We had um, implemented a front-end pre-certification process to do benefits investigation, and um, we really hadn't started looking at medical necessity yet, but really um, everything on the front end of doing prior authorization and benefits investigation, but we were still seeing some denials starting to come through. And so as we dug into that denials data, we worked closely with our revenue cycle colleagues and individuals outside of pharmacy to really kind of quantify the problem. And then once we had that data, really started to work through, well, how would we tackle it? What's currently being done? And there really wasn't any clinical justification as to why we were having some of these denials, um, why we would write these off. And so we started to actually um, pull in some of our clinical pharmacists that were usually within our clinics and, and in specific areas where denials were occurring, and they knew these patients pretty well. And we we're having them actually write those clinical denials and those clinical appeals for us. But that 
ultimately wasn't going to be sustainable because we were taking them um, outside of their roles that we had hired them to do. We would have to pull them offline, pull them off the schedule. Um, each of these denials was still taking them considerable amount of time to pull all the literature together and to submit. And we were running up against really the timely filing window um, once we received these in. And so we started to, to justify a, having a pharmacist and a uh, advanced level pharmacy technician to do a lot of our, our denials management. And we focused initially on Medicare because that's really where we were seeing the, the bulk of our write-offs occurring. And then once we had that in place, this um, pharmacist was able to work with all of the different clinical areas, all these different clinical pharmacists that understood the, the patient's progression and, and how they um, really got to that therapy. And then uh, they were responsible for then writing those appeals. And then once we got Medicare under control, we started to roll it out to all the other payers and started to get into the commercial world. And I would say every year um, we really thought we had a good handle on things and then something else would pop up. And uh, we just kind of have kept um, really peeling back that that onion of uh, denials and really all things reimbursement on the pharmacy side. And so as we've expanded the program, uh, we then said, we well, there's a bunch of other things from a reimbursement side that we're really not looking at. We're not doing routine audits um, that we need to be doing. And so in 2017, we really started to have a comprehensive program. We had a couple of positions that were vacant in various areas within pharmacy and kind of took them all together and made the pharmacy revenue integrity program. And then um, from that program, we were able to hire um, wonderful individuals in, um, Kathy and Ruthann being two of them, um, into this team and um, started to, to really look at, at other data that we had and, and identifying ways that pharmacy could really own all of the processes within revenue cycle for our medical benefit. And I think this is, a, is something that I think we recognize within the pharmacy benefit world um, that Pharmacy should really own these and we should own it all the way through. But on the medical benefit side, it was really just something that uh, was, you know, we would do all the work to operationalize the therapies, ensure it's the right therapy for the patient clinically. Uh, we would dispense it appropriately. And then from a billing side, we really never saw anything. It was kind of this black hole that you would send it into. And so we, we built that team to really have that closed loop so that we can see everything from um, the back end and the front end. Um, they communicate to, uh, to one another. And so where we're at today is uh, we've certainly have expanded that team um, over time. Um, we have um, you know, routine audits that we're doing. Um, we're constantly doing um, different analysis of uh, making sure that we're getting the correct reimbursement, that we're getting it based on the correct payer um, and, you know, anything that's changing with the payer, understanding how that's going to impact us overall um, from our, our reimbursement. And then we've also expanded to other hospitals within um, our healthcare system. Um, this really started at the medical center and then um, has rolled out to, to several of the other entities since then. You guys sound like a well-oiled machine now. <laughs> um, can you tell me a little bit about um, what your day-to-day -day work looks like? And then, um, you know, you mentioned a couple of things here. And I'm wondering, what metrics are you using to define success? Thanks, Vicki. I can uh, speak a little bit about my day-to-day. -day. So 
every day in my role, I think was quite different. Um, but the most common day-to-day -day responsibilities I had as a clinical pharmacist on the team was to evaluate pharmacy claim denials for high dollar infusions that were administered at our UNC outpatient infusion clinics. I would work closely with our pharmacy denial specialists to help craft appeal letters for complex clinical cases and identify root causes for why the claims were denying. For example, some of the most common causes for uh, denials would be due to coding or billing discrepancies, lack of prior authorization, or lack of medical necessity. I also helped um, to identify payer trends or process discrepancies so that we could improve our internal workflow. And I partnered closely with our providers, our clinical pharmacists, and of course our pre-certification team to help prevent future claims from being denied. Hi, Vicki, this is Kathy. So uh, my day actually is comprised um, of a mix of different routine maintenance items, as well as some of the special ad hoc projects that Lindsay has already mentioned. Maintenance tasks for us include things like reimbursement audits on our high dollar medications, anything related to charge master upkeep, while our ad hoc projects, uh, as Lindsay mentioned, were are usually centered around payer policy changes and how that can affect the way we treat our current patient population, the financial impact of maybe a new Medicare billing regulation, and then sometimes just mining the data to identify where we have um, maybe a gap in our workflow that's resulted in uh, what we like to term revenue leakage. Uh, one of the metrics that I use to identify success is obviously recovered cash. Um, if we do identify where we have been underpaid on medication, on a medication charge, we were able to, if we were able to go back, work with maybe our billing teams, our coding teams in order to recapture or recover that underpaid money. Also, one of the things I think that is a little harder to measure, but that really does speak to the success of the team is seeing where um, our collaboration with other you know, business areas within the system, such as the billing teams or coding, where Ruth Ann has spoken about maybe working with the front end as far as the clinical practitioners. I liaise a lot with our back end teams, so our billing teams and such, um, to make sure that our claims are getting paid, paid correctly the first time through. Thanks, Kathy, and this is Suzanne. I'll add in a little more in my role as the system director over this team. Day-to-day -day involvement is not in the weeds of the claims, but really in supporting strategic collaboration, like Kathy was speaking to. So that's within the pharmacy department, but also outside of the pharmacy teams. So I like to function as a bridge between our clinical our operational and our financial teams within the individual hospitals and across the system, but then also crossing outside of pharmacy into those rev cycle, managed care, finance teams, wherever is needed to where we can take what we are seeing, experiencing and learning and look for opportunities to improve the revenue cycle as the whole or our workflows and our decision-making upstream in clinical and operational components. So my role is largely collaboration and then engaging and sponsoring and supporting projects that this team identifies as a need, removing obstacles that would help us get to achieving any goals we see around those projects to keep moving forward. Kathy and Ruthann really touched upon some of the daily metrics in recovered cash, in denials overturned, in preventable write-off mitigated. 
those are important for defining day-to-day success. But my role is also to take all of that information, all of that financial value from the different components of the team, and then make it accessible to high-level executive summaries, um, to reporting within pharmacy and outside of pharmacy. And so one of the things I do usually quarterly is try to summarize the value that's coming from the day-to-day actions of these teams, whether it's in the financial stewardship or whether it's in the quality metrics of having identified and having a closed-loop model. Summarize those themes and trends, show the value of having this dedicated team, demonstrate where the partnerships have led to global success, um, and then highlight those improvements in uh, clinical and financial meetings to uh, our stakeholders within and outside of pharmacy. Sounds like you guys are a very well-oiled machine with a, a combination of like steadfastness and like nimbleness. What were the lessons that you've learned along the way in developing a program like this? Can you tell me what were like the low hanging fruit, the easiest things to implement? Um, what were the hardest things to get through? And then what surprised you the most when you were developing the program? Hi, Vicki, this is Kathy. Um, since I do a lot of my work around the processes, I think that what surprised me, or I shouldn't say surprised, I'm constantly reminded of how many steps are involved from the time that the provider orders the medication until that charge actually makes it to the payer to get reimbursed. And just finding any tiny hiccup in that workflow that can create a problem for us down the line, downstream. So any hiccup that can contribute to the charge not being paid correctly or a denial, um, it just always amazes me uh, just the amount of touches that have to happen in order to get things right from point A to point Z. It definitely adds to the challenge, but um, it also adds to the reward when you identify where the process broke and then you put those processes in place to fix it or to put that stop gap in to make the correction and get that money back into the hospital. Hi, Vicki. This is Ruthann. Um, I learned several lessons along the way, I guess, but I would say the biggest and toughest lesson that I learned um, was that every payer response and the requirements and the process that they go through is quite different. Um, and also within each payer, their response to each individual claim can vary pretty significantly. I would say that there really wasn't an easy part of the job, but the best part of the job was probably getting notified when a denial was overturned. And also when we could identify a process improvement to help prevent future claims from denying. And I would say the hardest part of the job was just trying to keep up and keep straight in my mind, the frequent payer changes in their policies, their requirements and just their general workflow. Cause as Kathy alluded to, you know, if there was any hiccup in the process, um, that would give them reason to uphold the denial. And this is Suzanne. Ruthann spoke to some of the hardest and most frustrating pieces in working day in, day out with a very dynamic set of payers. But I'd say the main lesson I learned in entering this space and entering this space for me, the first time really outside of a traditional pharmacy-owned area was how critical it was to develop and nurture relationships with our revenue cycle leadership, Um, how important it was to take the time to sit with them, to set 
this is what our vision is. This is what our goal is. Is it aligning with their goals? Even just to seek to understand their priorities, their pain points, their initiatives and say, hey, here's how we can collaborate. Here's how we can complement your services. We're not trying to take anything from anyone, but we're willing to have accountability to the successes and failures in collaborating with you and working towards the same goals. Um, and so that was the, the really the biggest lesson was how important it was to take the time to do those steps so that then our teams could be successful in the day-to-day changes that they were making in the needs that they were having, partnering with those other uh, health system teams. I'd say I was most surprised and most pleasantly surprised at how after that initial sort of hesitation period of what, you know, can they actually put their money where their mouth is? Everyone was willing to engage and partner and support. And so if we had the data present and we had the wins to lean upon, at that point, the doors were open. And since that time and since that early phase, um, all of the groups that we have found, both from the providers, clinical areas, operations, and on our RevCycle and finance teams have been open and willing to work with us, understanding what our goal is and using that back-end data to drive improved front-end change in how we care for these patients. Well, thanks, Suzanne. And I think this is Lindsay. What everyone has said so far, I think definitely holds true. I think on my end, um, the I, I would say I'm pleasantly surprised every year um, of the continued work that, it, that we do that getting started, I would say the um, actual easiest part was probably um, once we got sort of agreement with individuals outside of pharmacy that this is something that we should take on and that we had demonstrated through our clinical pharmacists that this is something that we should pursue was really the justification. Um, I think it's a it's actually one of the easier justifications that I've done over time because it's actually hard revenue that's coming in. Um, it's uh, from a financial perspective, you can um, see it. It is, uh, as Kathy alluded to, it's it's cash coming back in, into the door. And, and so I think that was probably a surprise that that was the one of the easier ones to justify to at least get us started. I think, um, you know, from from the hardest side is I, I would say um, we talk a lot about the the you know getting denials overturned and or finding underpayments, but there certainly have been times where we have identified overpayments as well. And so one of the other key pillars that the team does is compliance and making sure that you know, our goal is to just get paid appropriately for the work that that we're doing. And we don't want to be underpaid, but we don't also want to be overpaid. And I think on the the cases that we've been overpaid, I think um, that has to spark a lot of conversation internally and identifying it, recognizing that this team isn't the one that put that process into place, but they are the ones that to find it and to fix it. And so making sure that you have somewhat of a process in place internally for, I would say, an escalation pathway of how do you notify everybody that you have been overpaid, um, what is the dollar amount, what's the overall impact, and then working with all the parties um, that, that that would uh, have to be involved. So <clears throat> maybe some surprises um, there, um, but certainly I think from a compliance standpoint, we would much rather find it ourselves than have someone else find it for us. So you guys have done 
a wonderful job highlighting why this team is so important. Also, Sam, when you were talking, I was like, this is what they call a pharmacy epiphany. Everybody realizes how wonderful pharmacy is and they all want to work with us. I always love when they have people have pharmacy epiphanies. So uh, moving forward, what are the areas of expansion and what are you all looking to do next? Thanks, Vicki. I like that pharmacy epiphany. I'm going to keep that. <laughs> this, is, this is Suzanne again. My goal is really to continue to expand the current services across our rapidly growing health system. So as Lindsay mentioned in the beginning, we started with a single hospital, our big main medical center have grown certain services to other service, uh, other hospitals, but we are not yet system-wide. That includes hospitals within our system that are not yet on the same EHR. My goal would be that we get there, that each hospital can ultimately have equitable support from our content experts, from our teams, whether it's the tiny critical access or the major academic medical center. Um, but while increasing breadth of our services across the system. My goal is also to increase the depth of the work that we're able to do. Um, and that includes more dynamic reporting. That's a hot one, especially for Kathy and I right now, of how do we really improve more dynamic reporting? Um, how do we get a deeper dive into margin analysis and optimization questions, as opposed to just the pieces that appear within the rev cycle? I also personally really hope to continue developing and encouraging pharmacists in this space. It's an interesting space. It's unique. It's challenging. It bridges a couple of different areas that can keep you intrigued. And I know I bring residents and students on my rotations all the time, and they leave feeling such value in the learning they get from spending time with Kathy, spending time with Ruth Ann, spending time in our team and learning this space and how it connects into your traditional areas of pharmacy practice. That's another place where as much exposure as we can build from our team into those trainings, it's gonna grow as an opportunity for pharmacy practice as well moving forward. Hi, this is Kathy. Um, and to echo a lot of what um, Lindsay and Suzanne said, I think um, just expanding, just expanding into everything that's happening, it never stops being amazing to me, the just number of new medications that are hitting the market, um, new policies that come out from the payers. So, and if anything, COVID taught us the past um, three years to be nimble. And um, my goal is to try to move us to a more automated solution. So um, Suzanne talked a lot about, you know, reporting and analytics. And when you're looking at new CAR-T treatment, new oncology meds, um, just knowing the expense of these that wanting to keep an eye on to make sure we're being paid correctly for them. So um, just kind of moving from manual to more automated processes, as well as just staying on top of payer policies and what that looks like and how that does change workflows in our operational areas and our billing areas. Thanks, Vicki. This is Ruth Ann. That's a great question. Um, I think, you know, I have several pieces of advice that I could probably give depending on what hat I was wearing that day. Um, but my best advice as a clinical pharmacist on the team is uh, for the healthcare system or the hospital to invest in an experienced 
clinical pharmacist who's really capable of pushing the limits to promote financial stewardship while also keeping optimal patient care in mind. Um, I think someone who really enjoys learning about a variety of disease states so that they can craft strong clinical arguments when they need to, and someone who's really interested in identifying where the gaps are and how we can improve the current state. Because if we can't prevent future denials, you know, that's really one of the keys um, to success in this program. So what advice do you have for hospitals and health systems who seek to replicate this practice model for their patients and their system? Hi, Vicki, this is Kathy. And I think um, one of the things that I would have to recommend is that do not be timid and do not be afraid to ask questions. Um, this process from point A to point Z is very complex. So get with the ISD teams, get with the billing teams, get with the coding teams, um, reach out. We have found that our collaboration across all the health system teams has just been invaluable and really has helped our team become as successful as it is, as quickly as it is. So I would have to say, get out there, ask the questions, be curious, um, ask the why, ask the how, and um, start putting the pieces of the puzzle together. And this is Suzanne and Kathy and I are always aligned. So this is not surprising that she and I have similar thoughts, but as a leader looking to develop their program, I would say, be humble about what you don't know and then go ask the questions to find out what you don't know. Learn and collaborate. They don't teach us this. It's not normal part of curriculum. A lot of the expertise and knowledge has come from humble inquiry um, and willingness to learn, willingness to say, well, I don't know how this part works, but I know how this other part works. Please help me fill in the gaps. At the same time, I would advise any leader looking to develop the program to say, be confident in the toolkit that you do have. As a pharmacist, as a leader, it's the same set of tools you would be using in this space and then developing a program in this space, which is how to logically tackle a problem, how to develop standard work, how to support a team in removing obstacles day in, day out. Be confident in the pieces you do know, and then go be humble in the areas that you don't know, especially around some of the technical elements, because you'll be able to learn it over time. That's a skill that we in pharmacy do have. So that'd be my advice to folks. And this is Lindsay. I agree with everything that everyone said. It just definitely resonates with me. On, on, on my end, I, I would say, you know, when the team talked about the metrics a little bit earlier, um, they were also a little bit humble. Um, and uh, just to give you, uh, you know, maybe some some of the hard data that this team typically gets more than six million dollars worth of denials overturned each year. And um, I would say in addition to that, um, Kathy and, and her team are, you know, within everything that they find, it's they're not small numbers. It's 50,000, it's 100,000. And, and all of those pieces, you know, add up over time of of you know actual revenue that is coming back into the organization. I think on on for me in terms of advice, you know, Vicky, you mentioned you know that we're a well-oiled machine at this point, uh, but we we certainly weren't at one point. And so I think if as individuals are listening to this from other organizations, I think every year we found out something new and we continue to find out new things. And a lot of that has been what the team has already said. You know, we had, you know, clinical pharmacists on the team that were finding new things. We built relationships outside of pharmacy that 
would help us. And, and I think we, you know, it's, it doesn't really matter who does the work at the end of the day, but the work has to get done. And that's kind of the, the feeling and, and the, um, justification that we took in originally was at the end of the day, we just want this to work. There is a patient at the end that is getting a bill that is being denied therapy. And that bill, in addition to, you know, all the other things that they have to deal with to try to heal themselves, contributes to financial toxicity. And that's really what we've tried to keep in mind as we've gone through there. Um, but we, you know, we've also had people from outside of pharmacy that have said, um, I remember when we were starting the program and I thought we were good. I thought we got Medicare done. We're on a good path, like check that box. We have done revenue integrity. And I got a call from one of the billing managers in oncology who said, hey, we're actually um, writing off this specific claim for the administration fee, but it's a pretty high dollar drug. I just want to double check that that's right with you. And I was like, I don't know anything that you just said. Like, why would we write anything off? And who's writing? Who's telling you to do that? And it really uncovered that we had significant amount of write-off for things that actually weren't even going out the door at all. We were actually weren't even billing. And so, you know, spending a lot of time with our revenue cycle colleagues and um, our billing colleagues to really understand what is a denial, what is not a denial, get some common language. And then I think, you know, making sure that um, every year you're going to learn something new, especially I think as all the payers have made changes within the past five years, it's all happening pretty rapidly. And Ruth Ann mentioned just trying to keep up with it all. I think you're going to find new things all the time. And then just making sure that you have built a, a pretty robust program and you've got the right individuals in place that have a variety of experience that they can go and, and tackle those problems as they come up. Um, but also recognizing that you're probably not going to be able to just check that box like I thought I was going to be able to do. And uh, every year that you're, you're going to learn something new within this financial space. Well, that's all the time we have today. I want to thank Ruthann, Kathy, Suzanne, and Lindsay for joining us to discuss their best practice award, implementation of a comprehensive pharmacy revenue integrity program to ensure financial stewardship. If you haven't before, I encourage you all to check out ASHP and the ASHP Foundation's research resources. You can find member-exclusive offerings such as the Preceptor Toolkit, Research Resource Center, and exchange ideas with your peers on the ASHB Education Connect community. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe to ASHB Official Podcast for more great content from ASHB. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.